1: Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 194 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 7th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast, talking about UNC's big victory over Colorado on the road in the freezing cold out there. It seems like the team had a good time. A short week, only one real day in full-patch practice, and they came out and uh, played pretty well. And, of course, they got the homecoming game against Coach Sark, who, Link, if it has not yet beat... Uh, USC hasn't beat Coach Sarkeesian up there. So we've got to take him out at the Coliseum this Saturday for homecoming. I know a lot of people are going to be going out to that game, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. We have Coach Harvey Hyde joining us in the first segment with Dan Weber coming up later, and then Gerard Martinez answering questions all about USC recruiting. If you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206-888-6755. That's our voicemail number. We have a few voicemail questions to get to today as well a bunch of email questions about the team and about recruiting and as i mentioned we love to have coach harvey hide on in the first segment and talk to him get some get some knowledge bombs from coach about what's going on with this team coach how you doing
2: hey ryan i'm doing great uh beautiful day a little rain on the weekend and it clears up the leaves and cleans the cement it's, it's beautiful it's a beautiful day and It was great that the Trojans got a win and uh, on the road, and, you know, they needed to just go up there and and take their briefcase, get a win, and uh, see if you get paid. And they got paid by getting (laughs) their seventh win. And I think that's what counts. We could talk about that. But let's talk about uh, tickets for homecoming and where they can get them.
1: Yeah, if you need tickets, you can go to Southern California Tickets. They've been helping us out. For years now on the podcast, sctickets.com. If you want to go to their website or call them 1 800 888 7287, tell them Coach Curtis sent you, right? You talked <laughs> the coach, Coach sent you over, talk to Curtis, he'll take care of you. Concerts, sporting events, a theater, anything like that. I know Coach, he's they've helped us out a bunch of times before.
2: He really has, and I'll tell you, he'll take care of you. The crowd can be like it was for Stanford for homecoming. It'll be absolutely fantastic against the Dogs. But the Dogs are coming from Seattle. They're barking all the way. Coach Sark's coming to the Coliseum, and Coach Kiffin and them are good friends. It'll always be a rivalry, not that it isn't anyway, but when these two guys slug it out. It really is. I'll bet you they've already bet on the game.
1: Maybe dinner or something. No, no, Something. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Like dinner, yeah, dinner—you know, one of those fancy restaurants you guys eat at.
1: Right? Did you ever? Uh, will you ever make bets with other coaches when you were coaching?
2: Never, absolutely never. That's all I need to do is have some coach go in his locker room and say, "Do you know? Can you believe he had the nerve to call me up and said he was going to kick our butt?" So, uh, but uh, I've told coaches that in secrecy, you know, before <laughs> the game, just to sort of rile them up and so on. I just say, "Man, what a great stadium you have." Too bad you don't own it. We are going to own it tonight.
1: <laughs> cool stuff. So, well, we got a bunch of questions, so we might as well jump right into them. And uh, like we mentioned, it was a Friday night game, which is was kind of unique. You haven't seen that happen for USC in, in a while and not very often. Here's a question regarding that.
3: Hey, guys. Just got a question about um, – well, actually, it's an opinion about uh, – I want to know, uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, your view on um, – Playing college
2: football on Friday nights, I think Friday should be reserved for the high schools, and why do they play high school games on Friday night?
3: You know you don't see the pros playing pro football on Saturday, so
2: just wondering you know I had a chance to well, if he's done with the question, you know he doesn't have to go any farther because I agree with him hundred percent in fact, I write a column in the local newspaper here in Southern California. I don't know where you're calling from, and that just happens to be my topic this week. I was thinking about that when I was watching the USC-Colorado game, and I said, you know, college football is getting a little greedy. I mean, uh, Friday night is high school football night. I mean, why would you bite the hand that feeds you? All those athletes that are out there playing and so on, you know, they have all their car washes and donut sales and all the things they have to do to raise money for their cheerleader outfits and bands practice all the time. And then college football comes up and plays on Friday night. You know, there's only one reason why college football plays on Friday night, and that's because of, you know, money. It comes uh part of a TV contract. But, I, you know, I agree with you. There ought to be a blackout date that no college football games on Friday night. Take people like myself. I love to go to high school football games. Where was I Friday night? Watching the SC Colorado game. Because I had to watch it. Not that I want, I did want to watch it, don't get me wrong, but rather than being out and supporting a high school football game, I'm watching SC football or someone else. And there's a lot of games. You say, oh, what a great game. I guess I'll just stay home and watch college football. I agree 100%. I think that night, Friday night, should be reserved for high school football. Now, I don't know how many people believe that out there, but I believe that. I've been a high school football coach. I was a junior college football coach and a college football coach. And I'll tell you, I, it's just as important that those kids maybe more because a lot of those kids won't have the experience of playing in college and they have to go to work or go to the service or whatever their uh, situation is. Or maybe they just not, they're just they not good enough athletes to play on Saturday. So I agree with you, sir. No matter where you're calling from, I don't know if you're a parent or a coach or whatever, but me as an individual, as a former coach, I'm going to tell you I agree 100%, and that's going to be in my column this week.
1: All right. Well, we'll have to check that out, coach. Um, thanks for that question. Let's see. We have Kevin has a question. Is the move of Ross coming from linebacker to fullback the reason that the running game has really improved, or is Matt Khalil that good that he makes the unit go from a potential weakness? To one of the strengths of the team, that's from Kevin.
2: No, I don't. I don't think that that's what it is. I, I think always, yeah, he's improved it. You know, the fullback in the USC offense doesn't carry the football. If you ever notice that, he's never carried the football. They don't have one play for the fullback to carry the ball. He's either blocking back or receiver. He doesn't carry the ball at all. I don't know if that gives any formation tendencies or not, because I've never broke it down. I think it's all part of it. I think one thing that's happened. With the SC running game, they've given it a chance and they build built some confidence in it. And now the timing of the running backs and the offensive line have now developed. This line had never played together as an offensive line before as far as a unit. Remember, the offensive line is a unit. I mean, they've got to talk to talk about it, recognize the the, the blocking, make blocking calls, defenses, and so on. And the timing of the back and the, and the linemen are very important. That's one thing I wish they would have done more at Colorado, has run more running plays, as far as especially when those young backs had an opportunity to play, to get the running timing down and so on to make it happen. Now, SC had a great game at Colorado, don't get me wrong, but the whole game plan was to go against their secondary, which was playing like against air. But again, you know, one thing good about what they established at Colorado, and I know I'm getting away from your question, was that it wasn't Woods for 14 catches, what it was is two touchdowns for Lee, two touchdowns for Woods, a touchdown for Carlisle on a screen pass, and Gr- Grimble on a tight end touchdown pass. That's what I like. I know they set a record, but I like them spreading the football around where they can't just double team up on Woods, and he needs he takes 14 hits or 15 hits or whatever he has to take, too many hits for a young kid, and now they have to cover the whole field. But I think that's happened with the running game, too. You don't see as much as altered, altered uh, rotation, by whatever you call it, by committee. You're letting guys play and get their timing down and get a feel of the game and so on and get their licks in. And I think all that's come together now as far as a unit and there's more confidence there. And it takes time to develop a running game, and you've got to believe in it to make it happen. And I think now the kids are believing in it, and it's fun to hit someone in the mouth.
1: It definitely <laughs> that is fun, Coach. I think they like it. Why why wouldn't you like that?
2: Well they do because they're <laughs> having success at it. People are showing they believe in it. And to see McNeil go down the sideline against Stanford for sixty two yards, I don't know how you guys felt about that. But I, I, I thought that was just tremendous to see that guy running down the sideline and the running game working.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh okay, let's see, let's move on. We got J J B. He's written in before many times, Coach, and he says, I've criticized Monty Kiffin's defense in the past, but it does seem to be working. The defense is playing well. They still aren't getting enough pressure on the quarterback for the talent that they have on the defensive line. We have this great special teams coach in John Baxter. This guy seems to have an ingenious way of creating open lanes, maybe by overloading one side or whatever, uh, whereby one or more of his players can get to the kicker. If you can do that with a kicker, you should be able to do it on an ordinary play with the quarterback, the kicker doesn't hang on to the ball any longer than the quarterback does. Why, do, why don't Coach Monte and Coach Baxter sit down and combine their football wisdom and try to come up with some blitzes where lanes are created that linebackers or cornerbacks or even safeties can get to the quarterback? It just seems to me that against Colorado, every time they blitz the quarterback, he threw an inaccurate pass. Just curious what Harvey Hyde had to say.
2: You're exactly right. And I might say the same thing. I wasn't I wasn't very happy at all with the pass rush against Colorado. Not that, you know, they're gonna to listen to what I have to say on this, but I I didn't think they got a push at all. I don't like the way they don't contain the middle of the line as far as their quarterback running up the middle like Tyler ran that one time for a first down. The best game they've had the entire year was against Stanford. Their defensive ends came up the field, they got two sacks against Stanford. I thought they really played well, the defensive line. Whenever they do go after them, they do really shake up luck. They shake up Tyler. Uh, this past weekend, uh, Hanson, the quarterback from Colorado, he threw poorly. Uh, the balls were thrown short over the receivers' heads and so on. Uh, but Coach Kiffin would rather p- play base defense. And if you can k- play base, you're not going to get beat deep. You're going to play keep everything in front of you. You're going to get your yardage, but you're not going to get too many yards. And, and and I'm thinking about this now. I don't know how many home run big plays have been thrown against USC, like USC is then against other teams that are trying to play man against them, which they which you just can't do, especially now with the receivers, all receivers getting the ball. But I'm I, that's one area of the football where I'm a little bit with SC, most disappointed with is I thought the defensive line would really dominate. You've got Two five-stars, according to ratings, defensive ends. You've got all four-stars and five-stars defensive tackles. And, you know, you'd think you'd be able to get a better push than what you're getting. I agree 100%.
1: Okay, Uh, thanks for that one, JJB. Let's see. There's Terrian, Terrian Day, had a couple questions. Uh, First one, were you surprised to see Lamar Dawson starting? I don't remember seeing any hint of that. Uh, during the prior week. What do you think, Coach? A middle linebacker over Chris Gallipo?
2: Well, I, I was surprised at that, too. You know, here you have a senior who's dedicated, fifth-year senior, dedicated, getting healthy, coming back. And, uh, yes, he's had some good games. No, he hadn't had some great games. Uh, maybe he hasn't played uh, what everyone expected from him. But I watch him in there. He lines everybody up, okay? He lines them up. And as a senior, I don't think you take a senior out this is my opinion now. I don't think you take a senior out and put him in the position that he's in right now. I think Dawson's a great player, but he you know, he wouldn't be able to line up everybody. You think last week against Stanford, Dawson would have gone after that lateral and fallen on it when Glippo did that, he'd have still been looking at the football. He'd have still been trying to not that he's gonna not be a great player, but I think what you should do if a great player like Dawson is coming along, you give respect to your seniors, you start that kid you let him play, and you alternate the kid in. I think it's more embarrassing to Chris Gallipo on what happened as far as setting him down in that type of situation and putting him now like, hey, this freshman has beaten me out after all he's done, and then say, don't pout, just come and play. Well, okay, how can you not feel bad? You're a winner. You want to play. Just don't put me in that position where they say, where's Chris at? Like, this guy's asking where where's I think you start him, you play him, and you break this kid a little bit at a time. But to set him down and start three freshman linebackers, uh, I mean that that's not that's not an, uh, an, that doesn't impress me. Impress me. I think you're better off keeping a family happy with respect a kid that's donated himself to the SC program. I think you owe that to start him and not start a freshman over him like that.
1: I agree with you, Coach. I, and I thought Chris Gallippo played better. I was even tweeting with uh, Keith Rivers, the, the, the last number 55 at USC during the game, and he was surprised, too. He thought he, he wanted to see Gallippo in there as well, even though Dawson is wearing Rivers' old number, number 55.
2: And, and I agree. You know, I think anyone who's played the game or anyone who's coached the game or if you're a parent that has a kid playing the game, I'm not saying Dawson doesn't deserve to play. But if it's equal, you look at the senior who's there. You look at the guy that's had surgery. You look at the guy that's paid a price. You look at the guy who lines up the team or can, can make decisions on the field because he's been there before. Before you do that to, to a senior, you, you, you let the guy gradually become exposed to playing. Now when someone gets hurt, like Bailey or somebody gets hurt and Madden comes in, that's a different story. But Glippo wasn't hurt. Now what's really hurt is his pride uh, and all of that. And, and I don't think that's healthy for a football team. Why? You've got a lot of seniors that like Glippo. You know, Glippo's a great spokesman for the team. You always read him uh, after games or people asking him questions and so on. So I think you've got to be a little, bit, a little bit more careful. And it's not me coaching this kid, but I think you've got to be a little bit more careful regarding feelings of players.
1: Okay, and then Tarion had a follow-up. He's like, what's with the low snaps when Barkley is in the shotgun? Uh, those coming from, from Collette Holmes. They appear to persist over the last few games. Have you noticed that at all, Coach, some low snaps yeah. coming?
2: Yeah, I noticed it, mostly in the one game. I think it was, what was it, the Stanford game? I think there was a series of low snaps. I, I just think sometimes kids get over anxious and, 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 and I don't know. It's not good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you got to improve on it uh, i don't know what the reason is but i think that they'll improve it and they've got to work on it and they, you can't have bad snaps if you're going to be running what they're running the gun and all these different things so it's just something you have to work out and it comes from practice and and uh you're right in a close uh, game and in a situation it could cost you a football game if for some reason you don't get the ball in time or you from the ball Because all routes pass routes in running routes. are all on timing. And if you're delayed and you don't throw the ball in the break, but you're trying to fumble with the ball and the snap and so on, it could
1: cost you game. Um, okay, then he also had one thing he wanted to know about our TV show at McKay's. So we do our Ustream show on Wednesdays. We normally tape them. We've been taping them around 1 in the afternoon, but the last one we did at 8. I think we're going to try to do them at 8 p.m. from now on. So if you want to come down and watch them, or you can watch them live and submit your questions to that. So he wanted to know about putting questions into that. So we take the questions live there because we broadcast it live. Um, so if you want to check that out, just go to the front page of uscfootball.com on Wednesdays and we'll put it up there. And normally it's going to be, we'll post it on the message boards and all that stuff. Um, we got to have you come on that show one time, Coach, too.
2: I will. I'll try to do that. Um uh- I I just can't tell you what time it's going to be, okay? Yeah. It's just going to be one of these times, I promise you.
1: We'll do it one of these times. And then uh, just before can we – Can you let... get me a
2: parking pass?
1: Yes, I can get you a parking pass. No problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're going to McKay's, you get free parking there, so it's not too bad, just for three hours at least. Uh, one last thing before we go, Coach. just wanted to kind of maybe get your initial thoughts on playing Sark, you know, playing the the game against Washington. It's a, obviously a big one for USC. I mean, they got a tough one against Oregon. UCLA's looking better. Uh, this really looks like a must-win for the Trojans right now.
2: Well, they're all must-wins uh, for every, for everyone. Everyone they're playing, it's a must-win for. It's a must-win for Washington. It's a must-win for Oregon. Uh, Oregon's going to be coming off of the Stanford game, so you don't really know what to expect there. Washington's coming off of the Oregon game, so how are they going to feel? And also, the game before that, they played Stanford, so what effect has that made on the Washington Huskies and how beat up are they and so on, or the morale and how they going to be ready and this and that. And then UCLA now is really on a move. UCLA, I was at the UCLA game Saturday night and uh, I watched UCLA beat a team SC couldn't beat. So uh, UCLA is getting more confident. and UCLA could win two more. They've got Utah and Colorado. So, you know, those are winnable games for UCLA. So, you know, it's not going to be easy for the Trojans and it's not any, it's not going to be easy for any of their opponents too, because, They all won. Like they're saying, now, UCLA controls their own destiny. Well, that highway runs right through the Coliseum. So we'll see what happens. But right now what USC has to do is worry about the dogs coming down from Seattle because they're hungry. And Sark loves beating USC, which he's done the last two years. And, you know, the main thing about this game, too, it's not only just the game itself, it's what's attached to the game, recruiting rights, who owns L.A., USC is supposed to own L.A., and these people invade L.A., and are they going to come in and stay here and burn the boats where they don't have to leave? They're stationed here. Or are you going to put them back on the boats and send them back to Seattle? So, you know, you don't want a team coming into your home and your area and beating you because Sark's a damn good recruiter, and Washington's done a good job in turning that program around with Sark. So when these people come into Southern California and play, you got to spank them, you got to spank them, and you send them home beaten, so they can't come down. Then in a couple of weeks, recruiting, saying, "Did you see us? We came down. We own LA now. SC doesn't own LA."
1: That's a great, great point, Coach. And we'll talk with Gerard about some of the recruiting aspects. There's a couple big uh, offensive line recruits out of the state of Washington, guys like Zach Banner that I think will be interested in this game. So. Uh, I think it's gonna be a it's a big one all around. And they do have to stop that losing streak to, to Sarkeesian and, and Washington and you know having getting upset by them a couple of times. I mean Sark's definitely got the program turned around, but USC's in a better position right now. You can't can't, you know, trip over your own feet and, and lose to Washington in this game. Really. Like you said, they're all a must win, but certainly this one is.
2: It's a must win. It certainly is for USC, and it is for those guys. That's what makes great college football. And uh, I hope everyone gets out to the Coliseum on Saturday and has a, a crowd or has the roar, the same roar of the lion that they had uh, two weeks ago against Stanford. It was really a great college football weekend. and This is homecoming, so everyone should get out there. And this is a game that is important to all teams. And and uh, if you support SC and you, those kids look in the stands to see how many people really care. They really do. I remember when I came out as a coach, I'd look around and say, we're going to have a good crowd today. The kids come out and they say the same thing. They look around and they say, hey, we've got a lot of people here today. and Don't leave early. Don't leave early because those kids see you leave early and they think you've lost faith in them. So come out to the Coliseum on Saturday. I'll be there too, and I know you'll be there, Ryan. So come on out and support uh, the Trojans because, as I said, they want to own L.A. And the way you own L.A. is beat the people that come to L.A. So be there to help
1: all right, Coach. Well, great stuff. Thanks very much for uh, joining us on the podcast again this week. And we'll see you out there Saturday and then again on Monday talking about the game. And maybe the USC Trojans will be 8-2 and two by then.
2: Well, it'd be great if they're 8-2. and two. Then they've got a couple more to go and could end up to be a great season. But one at a time.
1: One at a time for sure. And if you need tickets, definitely go to sctickets.com. They can help you out. Thanks again, Coach Harvey Hyde. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who is in Colorado in the freezing cold for the game, uh, checking it out. Dan, how, how was that trip, man?
3: That was uh, interesting. Uh, The last time, uh, in 2002, the weather was almost as perfect as you could ever expect it. You know, uh, September, second game of the season, just perfect. Uh, This was not quite as nice. And and playing at night makes it, although it didn't get as bad as it could have gotten. I thought it it held up, and I thought they handled the weather really well. These uh, young kids just, don't seem to let stuff like that bother them. It was pretty impressive, and that's probably a good thing because uh, I think it was kind of uh, preparation for the game at Oregon in uh, a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, maybe a little not a little wetter, maybe in Oregon. Probably not as cold, but we'll see what the right. weather's like out there. But definitely getting some bad weather experience can help them up there in uh, Eugene.
3: Yes, I think without a doubt, these guys don't seem to you know get thrown off. Uh, you know, that much at all. They just kind of go out and play. It's kind of neat, especially uh, as young as they are. And uh, and Matt Barkley just does a great job, uh, you know, in, in terms of leadership right now. He just uh, doesn't let anything uh, really bother him.
1: Uh, well, we have some questions I wanted to get to. This one actually came in before the uh, uh, the game against Colorado, but it was, I thought it was interesting talking about the second-team quarterback. We did finally get something answered. We saw John Minugian. <laughs> coming at the end of the game. But here's uh, here's the question he had.
4: Yeah, hi, Ryan, Coach, Dan, uh, whoever is on the show this week. I know I missed the 31st show yesterday, but uh, work was slamming me so I couldn't get to it. Uh, so I apologize if this question was asked and answered. Uh, my question or comment uh, has to do with getting some experience to a number two quarterback. I read where, uh, I forget which rating and a- analyst said that this game put Matt up into the first 10 players chosen and which makes me think he's going to be gone after this year and so we don't have a quarterback with any experience and I was thinking that um, as the season gets further and further along it it seems almost harder to get that experience so maybe the coach or Dan uh, or whoever could comment on that Uh, it seems like as if the Colorado game will be the perfect game to get the number two quarterback some significant game time. Anyway, thanks, guys. Keep up the good work.
3: Uh, I think what it points out is they're, they're weighing, you know, these different, uh, you know, competing interests. Uh, is it worth it to, uh, you know, burn a red shirt? Uh, basically the only quarterback that's really been prepared to play this year uh, is Cody Kessler. I think now that Jesse Scroggins is back and uh, has had, you know, most of the last two weeks to uh, kind of get up to speed, I think they've made the decision that they're not going to burn Kessler's red shirt unless it would be a situation where you'd need one drive to win the game and he's still, you know, the only player that's really prepared to, you know, take a game over or if they had to have a, a starter, I think Cody Kessler gets that call. If they can get through the year without uh, burning his red shirt or Max Wittig's, I think they do that. And I think that's the decision that was made. Although, uh, And I don't think they think uh, maybe Scoggins has had quite enough time after being out for two months with that uh, thumb and, uh, and right hand yeah. injury. And I think the, the last thing was they really did want to reward John again, And I think that was the thinking. They, they you know They have to start thinking – Gosh, we can't get Matt hurt here. Uh, And I think they gave John. I think they told him uh, if you if we get the ball back, get ready to go in. So he had about oh I don't know 45 seconds to get ready to go (laughs) into the game the other day. So uh, he was about as uh, surprised as anybody. Uh, But but that's kind of the I think uh, the other night that keeps them from having to make that decision, and maybe that gives them another week for Scroggins to uh, to get some practice experience. But I. But I do think the decision is better not to burn a red shirt. Uh, that's more important right now than um, uh, than uh, getting, you know, end-of-the-game uh, cleanup time experience for one of the players. And, and from the things we're hearing, I wouldn't think it's an absolute, uh, you know, done deal that Matt's not coming back. Uh, I do think there's going to be some thought that, if most of the players will come back, uh, you know, as as the guys that could possibly leave. And if Matt, you know, even maybe himself would, would kind of organize that he really would have a shot at, at at having the kind of year that would make you probably be remembered for the rest of your life uh, as a USC football player. And so I think there's some attraction uh, to that for Matt. Uh, So, you know, I, I I think it's kind of been going back and forth, and I don't know that it's an absolute uh, you know slam dunk one way or the other. Uh, so uh, stay tuned. This is going to be interesting.
1: It certainly will, and that's been one of the big questions. And we'll continue on and see what happens. Uh, three more games left this year, and then Matt Barkley can make his decision. Uh, Amir and Sherman Oaks uh, had a few questions. One of them is if Perry leaves for the NFL. Can you give us some insight or your opinion as to what the defensive line looks like next year, any freshmen or redshirt freshmen that really stand out who do not play?
3: Well, I think J.R. Tavai is a defensive end that probably 270 pounds with good quickness and with the potential to get bigger than that. I think he's definitely a factor. Um, I think, um, I think Greg Townsend, uh, junior, I think is, is a player. I think, uh, and if we're just looking at, at the outside, uh, I, I would think, uh, those two guys, uh, you know, jump up, uh, you know, pretty quickly. I think, uh, you know, Kevin Green is, uh, you know, just hasn't played much, uh, you know, football, but, uh, uh, he's an imposing, you know, physical guy. And with one more year under his belt, uh, you know, I think, uh, he has to be considered as a possibility. So I think, uh, you know, I think they're pretty, uh, in pretty decent shape on the outside, uh, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of bodies and I'm not somebody who's absolutely positively going to say, uh, uh, we'll never see without any question of a doubt Armand Armstead, uh, you know, around here and who knows? Uh, I mean, I, you know, obviously a, a really long shot, but, uh, I just think if the sense is this team could win a national championship next year, I I just don't think we have any idea how all those things may play out. It's just, you know, I wouldn't write anything completely off. And, and, you know, would that be enough for Nick Perry uh, to, you know, to kind of change his mind? Because you would think that the decision in his case is, is possibly already, you know, been made. And, you know with you know family considerations and other things uh is that the kind of thing you, you know you would never you know go back on or not i don't know but uh but I, I i you know i think it's hard to to really know right now before you see how this season you know finishes out and and, and what everybody's thinking uh you know getting uh, from this year to next year
1: okay uh and Amir also wanted to know if there's a place he could find Defensive defensive statistics on individual players. So USC does put a release out. And you actually go to usctrojans.com. They have all the defensive stats, tackles for loss, and all that kind of stuff. And then he also want to know about a list for players that are red-shirting, gray-shirting. The USC does not provide any kind of official list. Basically, just look at the participation chart you can see on there. Anyone that hasn't played there are candidate the red shirt. There you know, a couple candidates, of guys Yeah,
3: but the, I mean, you know, nothing's final till the year's over. So, you know, there really isn't, you know, such a list. I mean, it, it it's pretty much theoretical at this point uh because uh, you know, w- there's still three games to go and uh, you know, things can uh things can change. I mean, I I think the only thing that, that so obviously could change it would be if something would happen to Matt and say, going into a game, they would say, Cody Kessler gives our gives us our best chance to win this game based on all the preparation that they've got, and I think that could change, certainly. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, if there are any other... It's hard to visualize another position where, where it would obviously change. I mean, uh, you know, Amir Carlisle hadn't had a whole lot of plays, that he had used up his red shirt but uh, but it's clear they've decided you know his time has come and he's got some of the things that uh, they really think you know this offense needs and I think he kind of showed that the other night so uh, you know we'll see it's interesting.
1: It certainly is all right uh, this is an interesting kind of question Dan speaking of things that are interesting. Dale from Port Isabel, Texas. Says something. I think we've talked about this a little bit, but maybe we can spend some time here for, uh, for this subject. Does USC medical staff deserve scrutiny? First, we lose Jarvis Jones. This is uh, Dale talking, who now starts for the University of Georgia. I believe he had four or five sacks in one game the week before last. What medical diagnosis prevented him from still being a Trojan? Do outside medical opinions matter? How did he get medical clearance at UG uh, UGA? Then now Armour and Armstead. USC's medical staff has so upset his family. He'll probably transfer to another school to play his last year of eligibility. What a shame. Devastating to lose his brother as a top-ten recruit. Uh, USC acted most honorably in keeping Frankie Telford on scholarship for four years after that abnormal di- abnormality diagnosis. Uh, he also said, will the final year of his scholarship count towards the 75 next year? And that does not. He's, Frankie Telford's not on He's not counting towards these scholarships, so they're they're just honoring that. But he doesn't count for for actual players,
3: right? And, and and I think it's a mistake to lump all the players with different situations and different diagnoses, and who would be diagnosed by different doctors uh, with all sorts of different uh, you know medical uh, circumstances. And uh, I will say this that uh, um, I think you have to respect medical staff where they, uh, and I truly believe it was the medical decision. I know people who have, you know, conspiracy theories about, you know, the lawyers made the call or administration made the call or whatever. Uh, you know, I really do think, uh, you know, it would be easier to say, uh, yeah, go ahead, sign a waiver. Uh, we're not, you know, it's not 100 percent and we'll, we'll just see what happens. And uh, they could have done that, and they didn't. And I, I think, you know, essentially uh, it's a decision to protect the um, the young man. I, uh, You know, in every case, uh, I think it's easier for a new um, uh, medical staff to clear a player who they haven't treated. If you haven't, you know, uh, diagnosed him with something and if you, uh, you know, are looking at his records or you're, whatever, and, and he doesn't present any obvious problem, uh, uh, you know, you you can clear him. And ethically, I think you can clear him and feel like ethically you did the right thing. If you're, say, the USC staff and you were, you know,
5: his,
3: his physician when he had a problem and you uh, now are going to be asked to say, okay, now change your, your diagnosis or It'll probably be all right. Why don't you let him go and all of that? I think uh, you know, I, I, I think you know, maybe the USC medical staff has taken a kind of a, a bum rap here. Where the difficulty seems to be is if there's a real communication breakdown, and especially in the Armstead case. And uh, it was difficult to follow uh, in listening now, the USC can't come out and say anything. Their uh, federal privacy uh, laws, and they haven't been released uh, by the uh, Armstead family to say anything about what their uh, diagnosis was, uh, how much they absolutely feel like they know about, the, you know, the situation going forward, and all of that. So we really don't know where the USC, you know, people are coming from. What we do know is that somewhere, somehow. There certainly seems to be a a breakdown in communication between the USC people and and the Armsteads. We know that you know they've got another you know at least another physician involved who sees it a different way. But you have to understand, he was not you know the person treating Arm you know or the persons treating Armand in the hospital uh, when he went you know in there as an emergency uh, you know admit and was in there for you know the better part of five days in March. So. I I just, and and you know, having had, you know, my father's a physician and was a team physician. My brother was a physician. I was a trainer, actually a a college trainer for a few years after being a high school football coach. And it is not that easy, even if you know all the circumstances and you know, everything that's involved to make some of these calls. So, you know, I really hesitate to encourage people to have a very strong opinion from the outside. It's, just really difficult. So uh, that would be my. I would caution everyone from making uh, you know any absolute definitive you know statements about who did what, who said what, um, and I just don't think you can make a medical decision about one young man based on in any way his brother, who is a high school prospect. It just you cannot bring those two things together. They're in different worlds and different. And it's good that the USC people. Uh, didn't do that. I mean, I, that would that would worry me more. Had that been a factor? Had you allowed the factor of his brother as a high school prospect that we're recruiting, and we might lose him if you don't have this particular diagnosis, that would worry me uh, more than the fact that they didn't, uh, uh, you know, haven't changed and and uh, aren't aren't clearing him as of now. Uh, you just wish that they hadn't had this sort of communications breakdown where Armand and his family seemed to think that it was going to be okay uh, based on certain tests. We don't even know if that was an impression given to them by the USC people for sure or was that by uh, an outside physician. So I don't know enough and I don't think anybody else knows enough and we may never know enough just based on the fact that we're never going to be allowed uh, legally, to hear what the USC physicians uh, decided and and how they decided it.
1: Okay. Uh, well, thanks for for that one, Dale, out of Texas. And then uh, one last thing, I wanted to mention, Dan. We had Harvey had talked about this a little bit. Playing on a Friday night, he wasn't a big fan. He likes to keep that for for high school football. The the players and coaches that feed college football and make that work. Um, but we have Mark and Lacintas was like just thinking when you get to interview Larry Scott, haha. Ha, here's a question: Why should USC agree to schedule a, two midweek games for a single season when other Pac-12 schools don't have to? And he says, "Oh, that's right. Nobody would watch WSU play on a Thursday or Friday game." Um, so he wasn't he was <laughs> real happy. He's, he's exactly
3: much. right. He's <laughs> exactly right. And I I think there really should be a prohibition uh, against the same school having to play two of those non-Saturday games, especially both of them on the road, uh, and especially if you tie in the fact that one of them's going to be a night game in November in um, in Boulder, you know, two days after they, you know, got a, had a blizzard, dumped 12 inches of snow. Uh, and it's another world. I, it was interesting. The, the Literally, as I walked out of the press box Friday night, Saturday morning, I guess it was 1 o'clock their time, there was one living creature on the field uh, and you really are on kind of the, the edge of uh, uh, as as much of a, you know, kind of a nice place in some ways and hippie, uh, you know, place in another, you know, that Boulder is that you're right on the edge of a mountain. And there was this, the biggest fox we'd ever seen. He still had the lights on and he, walked the entire length of the field the only person only not person but the only living creature left in the stadium on the field was this fox that uh, according to the sid people it's like oh, that's not that that big a deal or you know they're random wild creatures that come in here all the time and i'm thinking eh, you know on a, in a november night and you know right after a blizzard and another one was supposed to be coming in and all that that's probably not the best idea for scheduling, you know. If you and, and it's a difficult thing because, for example, it would be just as bad to be scheduling a Friday night game in Los Angeles. I mean, I think they're still working. Or, I mean, I think they've all been told that you have to take one of those Friday night games every two years. And I know USC's looking at them and saying, look, that's crazy to play a Friday night game, you know, at 6 o'clock, With the traffic in LA, how are people going to get to a Friday night game in the Coliseum? And uh, so I think that's still being discussed, but uh, it's not a great idea, uh, to be honest with you. And uh, we'll see how this plays out. But uh, but you know, and especially in LA, there are an awful lot of high schools that could be impacted by a USC game, you know, on a Friday night. So uh, we'll see. Uh, But uh, I'm not crazy about the Friday night game, and that's one of the, the I think things though, that helped them get the big TV contract, as they said, you know, will be available for games like that. Uh, you know, you might not see LSU playing on a Friday night or Alabama playing on a Friday night, but you might see USC, and uh, you know, it helped them get the big bucks. But then you pay for it uh, by having to play that you know that Friday night game. I mean, it's nice this week now they got an extra day to get ready for Washington, but. Uh, Uh, I thought they really should have a principle that if you're playing, especially if you're playing a second one of those midweek or non-Saturday games, both of them should not be road games. And, you know, they shouldn't come the week after on a short week where you also have to travel. Uh, I think they need to, you know, shore that up. Now, they got a, a Saturday off before the Cal game. But when you're playing the Saturday before in a really big, tough game, and then you have to travel on a short week, I mean, basically they had two practices to get ready for Colorado. And that's that's going to catch up with you sooner or later. Uh, Just my take.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, Dan, we appreciate your uh, insights there. And, you know, uh, we're taping this actually a little earlier. We're taping it Sunday night because uh, they're practicing on Monday mornings. We'll still put it up on Monday. But... They do get that extra day of practice this yeah. week. So we'll have Monday practice, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, heading into the game.
3: And I think they might do some tackling this week. I mean, that was one of the things last week. It was so obvious. They didn't really get to tackle last week. Uh, when you've got two days, and, and basically only one of them is going to be in pads, you really don't have enough time to tackle. And it shows a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, young teams need to really work on their tackling, I think, all the time. And that's one of the things that you know that you lose out on. So um, uh, it'll be nice to see him get back to doing uh, some more fundamentals this week uh, because they'll have time. I mean, that's a really, I think, a plus.
1: All right. Well, Dan, we appreciate you uh, coming on. As always, it's always fun talking USC football with you. And then we'll talk to you again uh, after the game, uh, the whole big homecoming game. Steve Sarkeesian coming back to the Coliseum. So we'll talk to you on Monday after that.
3: Can't wait. Okay, thanks, Ryan.
1: All right, thanks, Dan. And uh, everyone else, we're going to be back in 30 seconds talking to Gerard Martinez from USC Football Recruiting. So stay tuned for that.
0: You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans. To get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have Gerard Martinez joining us on the line. We're going to talk a little USC football recruiting. No one knows more about USC recruiting than Gerard Martinez. I know he might argue with me, but he's like he's very modest. But Gerard, you're the man. You know everything that's going on.
5: Try to be modest. It's always hard to know everything that's going on. It's hard to be <laughs> omnipresent when uh, you're following USC recruiting and you've got uh, all kinds of a shell game with numbers and Trying to figure out, you know, how many guys it can take, and you know who's leaving and and who's uh, who's going to be there next year. It's it's uh, pretty crazy. It's um, definitely uh, learned a lot about uh, NCAA rules and regulations that I never thought I'd have to learn.
1: Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to go on with these sanctions, and it's changed kind of the recruiting game quite a bit. But you know, Lane Kiffin still does. A phenomenal job, him and his staff going out there and identifying talent and and bringing guys in. And I think, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. We've talked about this on the show. You know, he sometimes gets some grief as far as what he's doing in the game, you know, managing timeouts, or some people don't like his play calling, whatever it is. But as far as someone to to lead this ship through, you know, the unknown waters, the uncharted waters of, of recruiting for only 15 scholarships over three years, I mean, it seems like Lane Kiffin's the guy, that's best suited for that job.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, I think from a personnel standpoint, and I think if you've seen that reflect on the team, you've seen some moves of players position-wise uh, that have definitely worked out for USC. I mean, you look at the move uh, of Dion Bailey from safety, the linebacker, and we've talked about that. You know, I think you've seen some really good moves from him, and I think that kind of takes, kind of it falls over to the recruiting process as well. You start to see uh, a lot of that you know, where you, you have to project, you know, you have to know what your roster is going to look like in two or three years. You can't sit there and go, well, I like this group of recruits and just look at that in a vacuum. You have to always kind of look at how it's impacting your roster you know, what are your numbers going to be like in each position? And he seems to do a really good job at that. It's, it's really seeing the angles of recruiting. And I think with, uh, you know, guys like Ed Ergeron and Kennedy Pola and some other really good assistants that are really good recruiters, they know what they want definitively. And I think that really is a positive for USC as well because I think in this time when you've got sanctions and you're going to have less depth than you normally would have, you have to be very sold and very confident in the personnel that you're bringing in for the scheme that
1: you want to run. All right, well, let's get to some questions. We do have some specific questions about USC recruiting right now. And let's start off with Jeff. And he had a couple. One, he was talking about what we wrote in the War Room on Friday. If you don't know, the War Rooms are every Friday. We put all this inside information about the USC program and recruiting uh, up on the site. He wants to know if we could talk a little bit more about this deal. Malcolm Brown out of Texas and how Coach O, Coach Orgeron, Orgeron, is targeting him. Uh, as a defensive tackle. Um, also talk about Eric Armstead not getting some love from other programs uh, regarding him playing defensive end in basketball. That was the one thing. He wanted to play two sports, and he also wanted to play defensive end and not offensive tackle. So maybe talk about those two tidbits from the war room.
3: Well, Malcolm Brown is
5: uh, one of the better defensive tackles in the nation. Um, you watch his film, and he's a very dominant player, very quick, good uh, good speed. Um, he's been committed to Texas for a while, still a solid commit. And Texas used to have uh, kind of a policy that uh, no commits could officially visit other schools. Um, we've seen that be flexible in the past, and some things have kind of changed, and I think some of those ultimatums have changed. Uh, whether, you know, Michael Brown is able to visit USC openly um, and still remain committed to Texas and Texas, you know, acknowledging his commitment remains to be seen. Uh, It's really just some rumblings kind of below the radar as to USC's interest in him and uh, the recruitment of him, which evidently has been going on for for a while. It's been going on since kind of, you know, late summer. And um, really, I think, you know, the talk is Ellis McCarthy is the premier priority number one Recruited defensive tackle, and he is still plan A, and we talked about it in the live show uh, just last week. He's plan A, and, and plan B is pretty far down on the list. If you get you know, a guy like Ellis McCarthy, you're getting a guy that's going to be um, kind of that impact, game-changing player, possibly, uh, that, that kind of changes the defense. Uh, He has that much impact, whereas if you don't get him, maybe you're getting a guy who's a three-star guy instead as as his replacement, so to speak. Um, So there's a big gap between those two guys. Malcolm Brown would be a guy that is definitely a more solid plan B in terms of talent, definitely a guy that you get him and you're pretty happy with your class, but he's a long shot. And 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 at this point, it may still be a long shot that he even visits. So it's just talk. It's just a you know a possible number two on USC's board that they could recruit. Um, it's interesting mainly because Willie Matt Garza was the sole recruiter for Texas uh, when he was recruiting for USC, and with his resignation you know we don't have anybody that's got any ties to Texas. I, Clay Helton recruited Texas a little bit uh, when he was at Arkansas State and more so when he was with Memphis. Um but it just nobody that's really uh been on the ground and done evaluations in person there. Um that was all Willie Mac Garza. And so uh it's it's tough to get your foot in the door in Texas with a lot of the high school coaches um, having, you know, a lot of pull over kids there when you don't have some established relationships. So we'll see what happens with Malcolm Brown. Um, he's a great player and, and we'll see if, uh, you know, USC is able to kind of coax him into at least an official visit. Um, like I said, he's still committed to Texas. And that seems like a solid commitment um, in terms of Eric Armstead. You know, I think just going through the process, having talked to his dad and um, having talked to, I think, a lot of people uh, that that have connections to other programs, you know, there's that uh, a little bit of suspicion as to, you know, what programs are legitimately recruiting him sincerely for both sports and where are they recruiting him in terms of position, you know, because Eric Armstead is ranked By several other recruiting services as an offensive tackle and he plays offensive tackle and he's very good offensive tackle. He doesn't want to play offensive tackle. He wants to play defensive line and I think with Armand going to USC and kind of gone through the same thing when he was a recruit, you know, his brother was looked at by a lot of schools as an offensive lineman, UCLA, you recruited him as offensive lineman, Cal began recruiting him as offensive lineman. And then it kind of changed up and started recruiting him as a defensive tackle after USC said they would bring him in as a defensive uh, lineman. And so you kind of have had USC has has proven with Armand that, you know, they will bring him in and and bring him in and play defensive tackle. They'd probably do the same for Eric but obviously there's that problem with USC in terms of you know clearing Armand and the medical staff and whether he's going to play at USC next year. And with that looking doubtful, it looks doubtful that Eric's going to end up at USC. So he's got to look at other schools, and I think it's just that trust factor of Kind of feeling out what schools are legitimately interested in him uh, as a defensive lineman, and what schools are legitimately going to allow him to play both sports. You're going to hear a lot of school, a lot of coaches, uh, football coaches say, "Oh, sure, you know, well you play. Oh, sure, you can play basketball all day long. You don't even have to practice with the football team. You can come over here for spring ball, and then you can spend all your other time with the basketball team. And then once he gets signed, the 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 tune is going to change quite a bit. I think you know it's just a matter of kind of going through. Uh, the different you know, home visits and official visits and, and getting to talk to people eye-to-eye eye and, and just trying to get a feel for who you can trust and who you can't, because I think that um, there are some schools, even talking to people that have connections to those schools, they know this, if he comes here, he's not going to play basketball. If he comes here, they're going to put him in on the offensive line. And, you know, I'm not going to name sources or say, you know, who's saying what at what school, but there's definitely a lot of that talk. So that was one of the things that I think Eric felt so comfortable with USC and committed to USC so early because he felt he could trust the coaching staff because there was uh, some history there, you know, with his brother having gone through the same situation.
1: Okay. Uh, Thanks for that one. Uh, Let's see. Jeff had a follow-up. Uh, And we also had a question, a late question that came in from Evan uh, on the front page of uscfootball.com. I don't want to butcher this guy's name. (laughs) Uh, I think you know who I'm talking about. Jared, I'll let you uh, give a shot at
3: Uh, it.
5: Afidi Adenigbu is uh, how I know how to pronounce the name. Uh, He's a defensive end. From Centerville that could maybe play linebacker. There are some schools that like him at linebacker. He's he's pretty undersized uh, weight-wise in terms of um, you know being a defensive end at 210, 215 pounds. He's about six four. So some schools are looking at him as a linebacker. But USC just recently offered him, and um, you know he had kind of narrowed his list of schools down uh, to just the schools he was going to visit. And USC really was kind of not in it and just recently came with the offer and he did some research on the school. He's a very good student and uh, decided, you know, USC's got some pretty good academics. They've got a good football program. Um, You know, I want to look at them further. So uh, there's a chance that he comes in and and, and maybe takes an official visit to USC. Uh, They're in the mix, you know, as as far as he can say right now. It's not necessarily, um, you know, a a done deal that he's going to be able to take that official visit. But he's looking at Stanford. Uh, He was actually looking at UCLA for a while, Notre Dame. So, you know, he's kind of looking at schools that have a good reputation in terms of academics. And, um, you know, another defensive end there that is an out-of-state guy, and we've talked about this again quite a few times, podcast, our live show that we have on Wednesdays, you know, if there's a dark horse for out-of-state recruit, if there's that name that they get that nobody's really thinking about right now, it's probably going to come from that defensive end position. You know, that's really where they've been recruiting out-of-state harder and, and really not really throwing a lot of offers out there mainly putting it on a guy like Noah Spence, five-star defensive end from Pennsylvania. Um, you know, you got Tyreek McCord, four-star defensive end uh, from Tampa, Florida. Um, you, you're really looking at those defensive ends being more the guys that it seems like they really want to hit you know, that out-of-state button with. And, um, you know, uh, Odin Egbu seems to be another guy that maybe they could come in late with him and get on him. Um, they've done it in the past, and like we said, you know, a lot of people didn't think Lamar Dawson or Andre Walker or some of those guys that they got out-of-state towards the end of the recruiting year uh USC really didn't have a shot at them, according to a lot of people. And, um, and that was, you know, probably pretty accurate at the time, you know, during <laughs> November and maybe even December, you know, that uh, USC really wasn't in on them too much. And, and I know with Andre Walker, they stopped recruiting him for a better part of October, November, right into December. And it was really late December when he got a call from John Morton and they started recruiting him again because they needed an offensive lineman. And so they kind of started picking it up and they said, Hey man, we we really want you to come in for an official visit. And, you know, over the army all American thing, uh, we still kind of thought, you know, there wasn't a real good chance that they were going to get him. And then, you know, I took official visit and he loved it. And next thing you know, the kid's seriously looking at USC and isn't signing with USC. So, late is never really too late with this coaching staff. I mean, they've been able to turn it on with Guys like Anthony Sorrow, um, you know, Lamar Dawson, there's been some some guys that they got last year that uh, they were pretty much uh, not in the running for up until this point. So, you know, we'll see what happens with Odenegbu.
1: Okay. Uh, That was Evan and Jeff that had questions on Odenegbu. Uh, JD and DC had some concerns with the offensive line recruiting. There was talk about the Fab Five before. Uh, He's saying, where do you think we stand now with the offensive line recruiting to augment uh, Max Turek, uh, Jordan Simmons, and uh, Chad Wheeler, who's really more of an early enrollee project. Uh, That's what JD is saying. It looks like we're down to uh, Zach Banner and uh, Ronnie Stanley, maybe a long shot at Garnett if we crush Washington. It sounds like we need to land both of these guys. And he lists a few other guys uh, saying Westbrook, Lacey Westbrook's off the table. No suggestion that Andres Pete will visit. And uh, Kyle Murphy, looks like he's leaning elsewhere. Um, and he also mentioned Eric Armstead, who you already talked about. But where, where do you think USC stands right now as far as offensive line recruiting goes?
5: Um, they're okay. You know, the Fab Five talk, I, I think, is is a little far-fetched right now, mainly because I think, you know, Joshua Garnett was mentioned there, uh, 6'5", 300-pound offensive lineman from, uh, from Washington, you know, along with Zach Banner being from Washington, it's hard to really figure out what the real deal is with Garnett because he came out and, and told everybody that he wasn't going to go to school on the West Coast, that he wasn't even going to visit officially any West Coast schools because he was going to go to college on the East Coast. And that surprised a lot of people. That surprised people in Washington. And so, you know, is, is he a guy that USC is, is even in the running for? It doesn't appear to be. Um, Is USC really recruiting him that hard? You know, I I don't know that as well. So, you know, he being part of that Fab Five, I I think that kind of lessens the talk of the Fab Five to some extent, unless you want to start, you know, replacing guys. But, you know, that was the original talk. It was Garnett. It was Pete. It was Banner. It was Turek. uh, It was Simmons. So I, I think as far as that goes, I think I'd put that on the back burner. Can USC get five really good offensive linemen is, 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 I think, more the point. You know, can they get five guys, and really more importantly, can they get uh, two offensive tackles or two, at least two guys they can play legitimately offensive tackle because that's where they need bodies, they need talent because of Matt Khalil possibly leaving early and the fact that they just don't have a lot of offensive tackles on the roster. They've got a lot of very good interior guys, and it kind of reflects almost what's going on in the defensive line as well. Defensive line's got some good interior guys. You've got some good one-shade guys, some good players that you would have playing defensive tackle, maybe over the center, maybe over that one gap. Um, You've got, you know, Antoine Woods, who I think is going to be a good player for USC. Uh, You've got J.R. Tavai, who's going to be a very good player for USC. Um, You've got uh, Christian Hayward, who could maybe play some three technique, but... Also a guy that's kind of a little more of an interior guy, a little more of a, a run-stopper guy, uh, long arms, um, very good player uh, in terms of uh, just, you know, using his hands and, and his lateral movement. Um, those guys are red-shirting, so they're kind of low on the radar, but I think they're good, solid players in the interior, and that's very important because, I mean, that's where you kind of have to start with your defense they could definitely use a pass rushing three technique, especially with the Harris going, who's kind of their best uh, pass rushing interior alignment right now. He's going to graduate. So you want to bring in a guy like Ellis McCarthy, you know, and if you're going to lose Armand Armstead as well, or at least he's not going to come back and play for you next year, then it makes it even more important. So, you know, and then on the ends, USC is kind of you know where's the depth there? You don't really have uh, a lot of depth if you lose a guy like Nick uh, Perry. Um, you know, is Devon Canard going to be able to really step up and, and be a guy next year that can that can be a big time pass rusher? Um, you know, he's getting up in age as well. He's going to end up being a senior, so that's where you're kind of again at the ends, at the edge of the defensive line, at the edge of the offensive line is where USC really needs to sign guys in this class. And so you know you've got. Jordan Simmons in there who could maybe play some offensive tackle. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, you you got Max Turk who I feel is more of a guard. Uh, and you've got uh, Chad Wheeler, who's going to be an offensive tackle, but he's going to be an offensive tackle down the line. He's got to put on some weight. He's got to get bigger. He's going to be a guy that you've got to develop within your program. Um, so you're, you're down to, you know, Andres Pete, Kyle Murphy, Um, You know, Magnuson is still in there. Uh, Ronnie Stanley is still in there. Uh, I kind of get the feeling that Magnuson is probably not – I mean, he might – might be the playoff to play tackle, but I kind of really look at him more as a center. He's committed to Michigan right now. Feels pretty good about that commitment. USC would have to put a lot more attention his way, I think, to, to sway that commitment, and they haven't done that thus far. They offered him, but they haven't necessarily followed up with recruiting him really, really hard uh, to the point that he's going to start second-guessing Michigan at this point. That may change in January when maybe they missed out on a guy where they feel like, hey, we just need a, we need to get somebody else. You know, Magnuson would be a good guy to fall back on. Um, you know, Lacey Westbrook never had an offer from USC. That was just not true. And we reported <laughs> that as untrue. On the website. Um, so, you know, a, a good player, but a, a player that's, you know, he's got to develop a lot more and, and, and get better. And, and maybe down the line he ends up being a really good player, but he's not in the same conversation as a guy like Murphy or Andres Pete. And I think that's really where USC is make or break if this is a really special offensive line class. It depends on whether they get Andres Pete or Kyle Murphy. Kyle Murphy. Seems to be leaning to Stanford, haven't been able to talk to him in a while since the USC-Stanford game and, and really gauge, you know, if he's got any different opinions about USC, haven't seen that game. Um, but it, it kind of seemed like Stanford was his kind of number one unofficially for a while. Um, but that has yet to kind of fulfill itself. That that recruitment is still going to play out. And then you have Andres Pete, who's, as stated, not necessarily committed to taking an official visit to USC yet. He's taken some unofficial visits. So, you know, he's still a possibility, but it seems like USC is kind of just hanging around right now not necessarily uh, one of his lead schools. And then with Ronnie Stanley, it seems like USC hasn't really been recruiting him that hard. Um, uh, you know, and again, that may change. And, and like, like I said, with some of these guys, USC maybe wasn't really recruiting him really hard in October or November last year, but... Sometimes it's really about December or January, and that's what recruiting's become. These guys commit early, they commit during the spring, they commit during the summer, and then you basically hit the reset button on their recruitment in November because then they start taking visits, they get bored with their process, they get bored with being committed to one school, and they want to actually see some different schools and get a feel for different things. And then, you know, their eyes open a little bit. So we'll see how the process plays out. I mean, USC's doing well. They've got some good linemen. They've got a good core of guys that are committed. Uh, but they definitely you know, want one or two more guys. And I think those two guys, if it's going to be a really good class, have to be tackles. And the tackles right now on the board that are really good are Kyle Murphy and Andres Pete.
1: Okay. And then uh, one last thing. Thanks, J.D., for that question. Dan, who's USC class of 07 from my town, Hermosa Beach. What's up, Dan? Might have seen you out at the uh, local watering holes at some point. Uh, you keep mentioning the possibility of bringing in 20 players in this class, the five available early enrollees, and a max of 15 for 2012. But obviously, trimming to 75, the overall roster of 75, he's talking about, is more is a more pressing issue this year. Would it be smarter to only take five, not only take the five early enrollees, and then 10, just 10? That would count towards the class of 2012, leaving five early enrollees and 20 total recruits available for the following year when trimming the roster to 75 won't be an issue, rather keeping it stocked and as close to 75 as possible will be. Thanks, and I love the podcast, Fight On. That's from Dan and Hermosa.
5: That's assuming that you can roll over those scholarships uh, in 2012, 2013, 2014. And we don't know that to be true. So if you're going by the actions of the coaching staff, it would seem that they can't roll those scholarships over. So they're trying to get uh, as many scholarships from non-sanctioned years uh, to count towards 2012. It's not 100% sure either way. We haven't gotten any confirmation as to this is what we can do, this is what we can't do. Again, kind of going back to what I originally said with the podcast, I mean, we've had to kind of try to learn these rules on the fly a little bit and kind of get the vibe that maybe USC, even in terms of compliance interpretation of the sanctions themselves, they've kind of learned on the fly a little bit, too, and and kind of trying to decipher what this means and what loopholes you can use to try to extend you know, as many recruits over, you know, that period of sanctioned 75 scholarships as you can. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, we don't really know 100%. If that was true, that you could roll over those early enrollees, you know, 2012 class into 2013 and then 2013 into 2014, it would spread the wealth a little more and maybe give you a little more room for error in your recruiting classes. But the way USC's recruiting And the way it looks like they're going to try to take, you know, maybe 18, 20 guys in this class, it would seem like they're loading up and they're trying to get as many in as they can uh, before the sanctions hit. And the sanctions basically saying that you can't take more than 15 regardless. So it's 15, 15, 15, no matter who doesn't qualify or who, you know, doesn't make it because of an injury or whatever happens. If you lose that player and you're 14, well, the next year – Too bad. You still got 15. You don't have 16. So in terms of actions, in terms of the way that USC has recruited, that appears to be what the rules say and what the sanctions are basically, uh, you know, playing out. But, again, we're not 100% sure of that either. There's been things that we thought, okay, this is how the sanctions are going to hit and play out, this is how USC has to basically take it by, you know, the horns. And then things have kinda of changed and USC's kinda of changed it up. And they've been real quiet about it. I mean, maybe it's a strategic thing, I don't know, but they've been very close to the vest as to talking about this stuff and um and and, and for us to try to get type, some type of interpretation as to okay, how are you guys handling this? And maybe that's a smart thing. Maybe they don't yeah. want other schools to know.
1: Well they didn't you know, tell anyone yeah, this. they didn't tell anyone for the class of two thousand eleven they were gonna try to bring in that big of a class. I mean that was just that was a strategy. The, the the understanding that I have, and I think Gerard, the same thing, is the coach's strategy is to do the first part of what you said, trying to bring in, like, 20. Try to bring in as many guys as you can right now. Uh, that's what we believe, and Gerard, correct me if, if you think I'm wrong on this one, but that that's what we believe the coaches are trying to do right now. If I had to guess, I'm guessing you can't move scholarships from the class of 2012 to 2013. And And my understanding was if you had – you sign 15 guys in the class of 2012, a sanctioned year, and one of them fails out or transfers away. That leaves you with 14. You can't replace that player. I, that was my kind of general understanding. Um, and you could kind of deduce from that that you wouldn't be able to use an unused scholarship for the, the, you know, the following year. Maybe that's not true. I, I mean, we, we don't know for sure, but I do believe that the coach's plan right now is to sign as many guys as they can come February.
5: Yeah, and try to make sure that they come as close to that 75 as possible. Um, You know, 85 scholarships, truth be told, a lot of teams don't hit that 85 with 85 guys that you've recruited. It's usually more around 81, 82, and then you have a few scholarships that you use for walk-ons, and you never really usually play at that 85 uh, as, as, you know, 85 guys that have signed letter of intents for your school. So with 75, though, you got to come much closer to hating it with all guys that you recruited, all guys that you've given scholarships to right out of high school. And it makes it harder because you – have to know you know who's going to be academically solid you don't want any surprises you know in in june all of a sudden this guy can't qualify you know some of the surprises that they had uh, this past year although you know they weren't really surprises i think they took some chances on guys because they just really wanted to get as many bodies as they could in uh for that 2011 class uh, but this year I mean, it's it's a real big gamble if you bring somebody in and you're not necessarily sure if he's going to be able to come in. And it's also true in terms of your early enrollees, and that's another thing that you know, Calvin York, um, Chad Wheeler. You know, USC coaching staff has to make sure that those guys are for sure going to be able to make it out because that's where your extra scholarships are coming in. You know, that's where you're able to carry over from that non-sanctioned year uh of 2011 which is what you know these guys for 2012 that are early enrollees count towards you got to make sure those guys do make it early because all of a sudden you start to put it into that 15 pool that you have for 2012 and that can't fluctuate at all at least again how we are interpreting it that can't fluctuate so um you know there's 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 a lot of interesting talk you know as to to what's going to happen with, with certain guys and whether, you know, they can get in early or not. Um, I know with uh, Eric Armstead, you know, that's kind of an interesting situation for him just because, you know, he's now kind of looking at schools again and he's got to figure out, do I want to be an early enrollee considering that I haven't really looked and researched any of these schools until now, until I decommitted from USC. I haven't really seriously looked at a lot of these schools. Um, and, and you're all of a sudden instead of working with, you know, three months and you've got a whole other month to take visits, now all of a sudden you're working with two months and that time is ticking and you're gonna have to make a decision pretty quick uh, in December in order to, you know, basically enroll at your college in January. So that's another interesting, you know, kind of aspect to this is making sure not only you are one hundred percent with the guys that you're taking that are your fifteen, but for this class, those guys that are early enrollees make it in because USC had a couple of misses on early enrollees last year uh that that you know juco guys that they recruited late in the process that they thought they would be able to get a shot in uh, and they couldn't get in and it and it went from you know them having like 33 or 34 guys that they could bring into the class all of a sudden they end up bringing in like you know 30 ended up being 29 i think at the end of the day so can't have that can't have you don't have that margin of error uh for this class and especially the next three classes coming up
1: okay well gerard great stuff as always we appreciate uh you coming on the show, and we'll, talk to you. we'll probably talk to you on Wednesday. We'll do the live show again from uh, McKay. So hopefully we can talk to you then. But thanks for uh, coming on the show.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, and thanks for the questions out there. And, uh, everyone, thank you for tuning into the Peristel podcast. USC 702, ranked number 18 in the AP poll, and they take on Washington this weekend for homecoming. So hope you guys enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you again on Monday.